Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, we thought we'd take another crack at some viewer questions. And in particular, I thought we would start by answering some of the questions that we get asked like a lot, very frequently, uh, by people both on YouTube, in person, on the Discord. It's stuff that comes up a lot. Um, And so we thought that we'd answer it, not because this will stop people from asking them, but I think it's a good idea to answer them because we don't necessarily go into detail with these answers every single time we get asked. So this would be a good way for us to do that. One of the questions that we get a lot and very frequently is people asking us and saying something like, you know, I just bought, insert the name and brand of a particular gun. What battery will fit in it? The problem with that question is that uh, if we haven't fielded the gun, we don't necessarily know. Uh, But the upshot is that, you know, the answer is also sort of, well, you can take the measurements of the component and a lot of people who are selling batteries will actually give you the dimensions of them at this point because they know we're all trying to cram them into often tiny, ridiculous spaces. And so it's useful for us to have the actual exact dimensions of the battery they're selling. I mean, it's almost impossible for for someone to know what exact battery is going to fit in in any particular gun without especially knowing like for example where does it fit is does it go in the in the stock or does it go in the buffer tube or does it go in the foregrip or in the rail or something like that so if we know whatever you're running is rear wired and has a hollow m4 cell buffer tube we can definitely recommend a battery because we know a number of batteries that are good to fit into that space uh if you're trying to put something you know underneath the dust cover on top of your ak our knowledge base is a little weaker because none of us really run them. And, you know, there's also the the thing that, you know, you can do, which is check the manual because the manual will generally give you inf- information about what types of batteries might fit in, in your gun. Now, obviously, we know that not every single airsoft gun comes with a manual, uh, and we know that not every air- single manual is going to talk about all the variety of different batteries that are out there, including like LiPos, lithium-ion batteries, etc. But it's a good starting point for sure. Uh, like, and like Pat was saying, if you're not sure, just take the measurements of your stock or your foregrip or what have you and look at what you can find online. Now, there's some things that generally we know about batteries. So you've got like nunchuck style batteries and they might work better in, you know, like a crane stock setup. Yeah, it's going to be harder to fit a uh, battery that is uh, all its cells compressed together in one casing into a uh, crane stock, uh, especially if you don't have any space or a lot of space in your buffer tube, right? So if you're running a uh, crane stock, but you don't have a lot of space in your buffer tube because you've got a MOSFET in there or because uh, you just, you know, happen not to have very much space in the buffer tube, there's some manufacturers that don't actually make them as hollow as others. It's weird. Uh, Then, yeah, you're going to want something that fits into just the slots on a crane stock. So it's going to need different wiring and you're going to be pretty much at an unchuck style battery. Um, You know, if you have a uh, full stock AK, and you've just got a humongous amount of space inside of it, so you can run whatever you want. Yeah, I remember back in the day, I had like an SR-16 style rifle and had a full stock, and the battery compartment was huge. And I, I, we weren't, I wasn't even using lipos back then. I was still on NIM batteries, and I had a, like this huge NIM battery, and I just stuffed it in there. Yeah, and as a benefit, that NIM battery, you know, alternated as a club. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, if you're running uh, a full stock rifle 
you know, you have loads and loads of space, but people will actually often be like, so should I put a bigger battery in there? Um, you know, the answer is, well, if you're putting a humongous LiPo battery in there, you definitely want to have something in between it and the rest of your wiring so that it's not just trying to pull all the juice from a humongous LiPo uh, mm -hmm. to turn your airsoft motor and eat your gun. Um, you know, within reason, yeah, there isn't really a reason not to. So, and I think in a, in a similar vein, you know, one of the questions we get asked again frequently is people who say stuff like, well, my gun is insert model and brand here. Can I run a LiPo in it? Or, you know, can my gun run an 11.1 volt LiPo? And the answer is not necessarily clear cut. Like there's several things that we would, before we say you can run a LiPo, we would want to make sure that there's certain things in place. Yeah. I mean, the short answer is sort of always yes, as long as you don't mind the uh, potential negative consequences in the mid to long term, right? Um, you know, if you put a LiPo into a completely unupgraded gun, you will get improve trigger response and you know a higher rate of fire for a while then you're gonna stop working and to be clear like we wouldn't even advise doing that if you don't at least have a lipo alarm or something in your gun um to warn you when your your you know your uh, your battery is starting to go low voltage and the thing is like if you're the kind of person who doesn't know whether your gun can run an 11.1 volt lipo or not you're also probably not the kind of person who knows the difference and can tell that they need to stop using that lipo otherwise it's going to catch fire right for sure and i mean um i did not mean to suggest that you should just go buy a lipo and put it in your gun yeah no for um, sure but yeah if you're going to put a lipo in your gun and you don't have a fet in it put a lipo alarm in they cost a dollar and your gun won't light itself on fire in your hands and then if you have like, but to come back to what you were saying, I think if you do have that LiPo alarm, you certainly can put a LiPo in your gun. But again, then you're coming back to the territory that you were talking about, which is, you know, the increased wear and tear on your gearbox and your parts and stuff like that, that if you're not running any upgraded parts other than the LiPo, well, you know. It's rocky. Yeah. You know, and I think we come ultimately, uh, or at least I ultimately come back to if you're looking at, you know, putting a LiPo battery in your gun um, and you're asking us, you know, hey, can I put one in your gun? Uh, I'm concerned that you actually haven't done your due diligence before buying the rifle. Um, and like, that's not meant to say like, oh, you know, you're, you're daft for it. You know, I've definitely bought guns without looking into them and learned the lesson after the fact. <laughs> uh, but you'd be astonished at how effective just a, a cursory, like literally go to Google, type in, you know, name of gun, model of gun, brand of gun, known issues and see what pops up. Uh, because that will get you, you know, oh yeah, there's a really common recurring problem with these. Cool, right? Uh, and so whenever people ask me for advice on a gun that I don't know in the sense that I haven't handled it and used it, you know, I, I go do that and I, I'm good at research. You know, it's a, it's a skill I've developed pretty well, go university. So if it's the sort of thing where it makes sense, I'll go do a couple of hours research and find out if there's anything really good or bad or noteworthy about the gun. And I'll pass that along to whoever's asking. You know, at the end of the day, you probably want to do that information gathering, that reading yourself before you buy anything. Um, if you do find yourself in a situation of like, oh, well, I've bought this gun, you know, um, the, the broader answer is, okay, well, if it doesn't have a FET in it and you haven't bought a LiPo alarm, no, you absolutely shouldn't put a LiPo in it. Uh, if it does have a FET in it, you're fine. Uh, if you have bought a LiPo alarm, you're at minimum not risking 
begun harming you by failing. Um, you are risking having component failure and having to get someone like me to open up the gun and repair it for you when it breaks. Um, there are less and less guns on the market that have really terrible parts in them. Um, go have a look at the spec sheet for your gun. If it has a nylon piston without steel teeth, don't put a lipo in it. Because uh, it'll just eat the teeth in your piston and you're shit out of luck. And that, that ties in neatly to, you know, just another question that you already touched on that we get asked a lot, which is, my gun is, insert model here, what upgrades should I put in it, right? And the thing is that, yeah, we have a YouTube channel and yeah, we have a Discord and all this kind of stuff, but we're just normal airsofters. Like, I have at most two rifles and two pistols on the go at any given time, right? Like, I know, Pat, you might have a couple extra. Like, as a team, we have, you know, let's say 20 different rifles or what have you. We do not have this, like, arsenal that some people are posting on, like, Reddit, where they have, like, 40 or 50 guns or more. There are people out there with way, way more guns than we do. And so, yeah, we've had the chance to handle all these kinds of different guns, but we don't know them inside and out like some people do, right? And I think you could be forgiven for assuming, uh, after listening to a couple episodes of our podcast, that, yeah, we, we have a dirty pile of guns. Yes, uh, fair enough. And I have the benefit of having, you know, function as the tech for a community of like 80 people. So I've taken apart a lot of guns. Um, you know, I worked at a shop for a while. I've taken apart even more. Uh, so I've played around with... LMGs, I've played around with AK gearboxes, you know, I've, I've opened up and messed around inside of at least one of any version you can come up with. But when someone looks at me and goes, okay, um, VFC just put out this brand new gun, it has a FET in it, what do you think of that FET? My answer is going to be, mm, I don't know, I've, I don't have one. Yeah, I've, I don't have one, I haven't used one. Uh, similar when people are like, oh, you should review like this or that gun. It's like, well, we don't have one so we'd have to go out and buy one and then the other the flip of that is i'd love to by the way like you you want me to, you want me sure. to review guns man like you find me some sponsors and i'll i'll review whatever you like but the reality is like even when we do like buy a gun like I, we were talking uh, as we were thinking about this video i bought a gnp mots and it did not stay a gnp mots any more like five minutes after i got it we were slapping new stuff in there Right. And that's the way that it works for most of the guns. Like we bought a metal King Arms, uh, like a King Arms M4 RIS, uh, all metal. And we bought that, but only because we wanted to build Chris a gun. It didn't stay like that. Like by the time we were done, you were shredding it apart and slapping new stuff and on it and in it. Right. And that's how we operate when it comes because we know what we are looking for in terms of performance. So those are the upgrades we put in. Now, what you are looking for in terms of upgrades in your gun, when you say to someone like like myself or to Pat or whomever, what upgrade should I put in there? The answer should always be, I don't know, what do you want it to do? Absolutely. I mean, there's sort of an irony to this, but um, we've got nine King Arms bodies in use across our team, or ten. Uh, and I actually don't think if you were to ask me that I could give you much of an idea of what the stock performance of a King Arms M4 looks like, because usually I open them up, go, ooh, pretty, and then begin removing the insides and putting in what I have decided yeah, to put into totally. them. Um, which, in retrospect, is sort of funny. Um, you know, I guess the next time we buy one of those for me to build, I'll actually go, like, game it for a day or something just to see. And I'm happy to field these questions. I'm happy to try to help people out. It's just a matter of, especially if it's brand new, like 
I definitely haven't seen it. I don't buy brand new airsoft guns very often. Um, the last one I bought was my uh, Glock, actually. Um, the PX4 that I picked up, I picked up on Airsoft Canada used. Um, the uh, Garand Airsoft Canada used. Um, my primary rifle is built on that King Arms shell and I bought the King Arms gun and everything in it, but I didn't use the King Arms parts at all. Like I just pulled everything out of it and built what I was buying it to build. I mean, your Tommy gun, your Tommy gun came secondhand. Like you got that off Stefan, yep. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so right? the Thompson, like I've used the Thompson before I bought it. Um, so I can tell you, and it is still stock. So I can at least tell you what a stock King Arms Thompson, Thompson looks like, uh, which is good. And the answer is in a lot of cases, surprisingly good you know the Karen Thompson impresses me it is better than I kind of expect an out-of-the-box rifle at its length to be ditto the uh, Garand although that in retrospect is because the Garand has like a football field length barrel inside of it uh, which I didn't yeah. realize when I purchased it I was like hmm, ah, cool this is actually essentially an electric sniper rifle neat in thinking about it I can't even remember the last stock airsoft gun that I bought and I'm thinking I think it's probably the G&G Scarl. Yeah, that's what I would think as well. I was the first owner of that Scar, and it came in the box and everything. I can't. I don't think I have any other rifle that came in the box with the manual and like little tiny bag of like really crappy VVs and stuff. Like, yeah, my Classic Army M16 would have been, um, but it was bought at a time when, in order to get them across the border, they had to put a spring in it so heavy that the gun couldn't actually fire anyway. Uh, oh yeah. So like. I actually couldn't use that. I had to take the gun apart in order to put a spring into it that it could turn over. Um, but that one did come to me brand new. Um, I think actually uh, Stefan is our large, my largest source and probably yours of like brand new airsoft guns. Um, because he's definitely a bit in the collector of shiny cool airsoft guns side of things. And so I get to yeah. uh, play with new out of the box stuff that he buys. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the guy who's like yeah no i mean if i'm buying a new airsoft gun i'm probably buying it to to modify i mean even literally right now like the the thing i'm looking at buying uh next for airsoft in terms of airsoft guns is probably some sort of lmg uh which is on the long-term project shelf because i really shouldn't do it you got a few other things a few other irons in the fire so to speak before you get to that one absolutely i probably will buy a secondhand one largely in the sense that i'm more likely to just see one on airsoft canada and go oh that's actually not too expensive cool i'll buy that one so i mean coming back to the question like when you're asking us specific questions about a specific gun chances are like we can give you some general advice but the likelihood is we have never used that particular make and model of gun right unless you're asking us about king arms m4s and, and even then like our experience is more about the upgrading them like if you come up come to us and say hey what do you think of the new vfc avalon saber no idea never used one Right. And that's not because we're not interested. It's just because we all we know what works for us. And we can tell you all about sort of the the uh, logic and the thought process that goes behind the way we upgrade our guns and why we do it and stuff. But when it comes to specific guns and specific manufacturers, we just don't have that exposure. And the fact that it just takes a long time for us to get anything here in Newfoundland anyway. I really do feel, you know, addressing the, the would you review stuff question or you know why aren't you reviewing this stuff like it, it's a thing we'd love to do but we're not making um 10 grand when we post a youtube video we're not making enough no. money to use to buy full guns to review 
Um, again, you know, and we'd absolutely be open to doing it. I'd be open to talking about it against, you know, my highly upgraded stuff, um, talking about it against less upgraded stuff, taking it apart and showing people what's in it. You know, these are all things we could do. It's just a matter of we need a sponsor sending us gear. I mean, and I don't want to discourage people from asking us questions, right? Like, we are trying to get knowledge out there. We are trying to provide you with help. So uh, don't take this as just just us going all, like, you know, go Google it yourself. Like, I can read the spec sheet for a gun and probably infer um, more than you can, unless you're good at gun teching, right? Um, mm -hmm. Simply because... I've taken apart a lot of things and I know what the numbers that they're putting there mean. Just to, to just close that off, I, th I think you're right. Like, we're not trying to discourage people, I think. But the reality is, you know, if you're asking very, very specific questions about very specific guns, chances are we know just about as much about it as you do, right? If you're the one holding that gun in your hands, you probably know more about it than we do, right? And if all we're doing is looking at a gun that neither of us have, then it's just a matter of us trying to find that information for you, right? So, um but on the flip side, what we can talk about is like I like I was saying, like the logic that goes behind sort of our decisions. Yeah, there's a there is usually a why we are doing whatever we're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's even a good one. <laughs> Another question that get gets asked reasonably frequently has to do with teching, and it's around this idea of I know that I have to upgrade my gun, but I'm afraid to open my gearbox. What should I do? Um, and the answer to that is really quite simply, you know, take a deep breath and do it. Um, you know, as, as kind of rough as that sounds, there are no magic fairies inside, right? I've said it before. Uh, you are probably not going to lose any parts taking your gearbox apart, <laughs> right? Uh, there are lots of good videos out there on how to take one down. Um, there are lots of sort of places you can get good advice on how to do it. Uh, go watch a few videos, spend an hour on YouTube or to watching videos, reading about how to take it apart, reading about what the parts are and how they work, because that will save you the heartache of putting it back together wrong. Um, it's not a hideously difficult task. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's moderately skilled labor, I guess. Uh, if you're trying to, you know, do a shim job, expect it to be finicky and take a while, right? If that's what you're going in there to do. Um, but yeah, just do it. Um, keep an eye in particular on having something in the spring guide to make sure it doesn't shoot across the room so that you can uncoil the spring, like untension the spring without it shooting parts everywhere. That's really important. Uh, when you're taking it apart, try not to let the gears fly out everywhere so that you can keep the shims that are on them where they are. Uh, I've mentioned before, I tend to like, you know, draw a little box and put the gear and its shims in that box just on a piece of paper that I'm using to store the parts that helps a lot but yeah um i mean there's anxiety opening gearboxes i think for the first 50 <laughs> yeah right yeah, um, for sure i'm past it i'm at the point where i'm like yeah i, I the only anxiety i experience is that first trigger <laughs> where i'm like come on work work yes um but even that's usually motivated by the fact that i'm like oh i've been doing this for an hour and i want to go get a sandwich at the end of the day you don't really need to be afraid of it right like, yes, it is a, a box of mechanical parts under tension. But if you don't, if you're listening to this and you don't know how to release the tension, you need to go look at that before you open it. I think some of the anxiety, too, comes from the idea that, I mean, most of us only have, like, one airsoft gun, right, that we're using. So it's like, oh, my God, what if I 
uh, open it up and then I can't put it back together and now I don't have an airsoft gun anymore, right? Which is, I, I guess, a legit concern. But the thing is, that's a concern that we had back when we were first doing upgrades in our guns, like back in 2008 and stuff. But like the amount of knowledge that was available, freely available at the time and easily accessible at the time was very, very limited, right? You could not get like these, like you can get today on YouTube, like these very highly detailed, very clear to see videos that show you exactly how the gearbox works and how to take it down and put it back together uh, and to make sure that, you know, your gun will actually function when you're done that. And if you're at the point where your concern is, well, I need to open my gearbox. Well, then you're going to have to do it, right? Or you get somebody else to fix it. But if you want to do it yourself, like Pat was saying, there's a lot of education you can you can go and look at and then just go ahead go ahead and do it. And remember as well, like, and Pat didn't say this, but I mean, it's, it's sort of an underpinning. Like, a gearbox is not like a Lego set that you can just build and have a couple missing pieces at the end and be like, oh, it's fine. Like, Everything that comes out of there has to go back in there, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> Definitely. So if you close up your gearbox, and you're like, oh, there's this extra spring. No, no, no. You have to reopen it, figure out where it goes, and put it back in there. And then after a while, you will – and to be honest, like, I mean, I've done that myself. Like, I'm putting everything back, and I'm like, oh, I forgot to put the spring on top of the plate. Right, open it up, put it back in, right? Like, after a while, you'll know what everything is, and you'll know where everything is supposed to go, and then – you're just you you won't really forget like it there's it's there's a limited set of things that goes in there so it's just really getting down getting familiar with it and getting that te- technique down and like pat was saying like once you've done it you know several times then it's not so mysterious and especially if you're working on the same one all of the time the process is always going to be the same take it down always going to be the same to put it back together right and you pretty much invariably end up at the same um by step of okay I'm just going to do my mental checklist of, oh, yeah, everything's here. Cool. Right. Um, it just takes you a while to develop that mental checklist um, because it is a skill. Right. Uh, and there's sort of that issue of, well, you need to be patient with yourself while you develop the skill. But I started off literally with a um, TMP90 that had cracked its tappet plate. So it just would not fire, had to be opened up. There was no option. Uh, and I at the time had, you know, three or four good tutorials that were um, a, a five-page document with some photos. Uh, and I put it back together and took it apart, put it back together until it worked again. And, you know, I'm, I'm not even really ashamed to say it took me a while to figure out that there were no magic fairies in there because for quite a while, just wasn't entirely sure why it didn't work when I put it back together one way versus, you know, five minutes later it working when I put it back together again. Um, you know, and I mean, frankly, still I have days where I put a gun back together and it doesn't turn over and I'm like, that's just strictly something was misaligned when I closed you up. Ugh. It happens. But broadly, you can eliminate aside from the occasional just like, oh, that didn't quite go back together the way it was supposed to when I was literally putting the parts together, like closing the lid. You can eliminate most of that, right? Because it is just a mechanical function. It only goes together one way, (laughs) right? Want to pay attention to just a, a, a thing to think about that popped into my head just now is you want to probably think about making sure you're aware of which way the motor goes in the grip before you take the gun the rest of the way apart. But also, if you're listening to this, um, you know, you probably have a smartphone 
take pictures. Um, yep. You know, don't rely on your, you know, feeble memory. Rely on the digital camera that you have access to. So just a, a quick one, uh, changing gears a bit. Uh, a question we've had in a few of the Let's Talk About videos, which is, uh, why is there a Brittany flag in your video? Or what is that flag behind you? It is a flag of the province of Brittany in France. That's where my family is, is historically from. Uh, my ancestors are from, so that's why we have that flag. No more to say about that, but we get a lot, so there you go. Plus, it's cool. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, uh, it was. There's a story behind it, which I will not, uh, which I will not tell here. But anyways, um, another one uh, that we get relatively frequently, um, again, both in person and on YouTube, uh, is what is a good quality red dot site slash what type of site do you use? So. Starting out right now, I'm and for the last several years, I've been using a replica Trigicon SRS. Uh, I like this site a lot because it has a very big viewing window. It has an adjustable brightness. It comes with a screw-on kill flash. Uh, I'm actually on my third one. That's protected lens from uh, you know taking a BB hit and breaking. Uh, and it has a bit of a solar power and it runs on AA batteries. It's fully adjustable. The thing is great. Uh, it's not super cheap. It's l much cheaper than a real deal uh, site. Uh, it's probably around somewhere in the vicinity of like eighty to hundred dollars Canadian, which is you know reasonable, um, and it has all the features I'm looking for. So I think whenever we're talking about a good quality red dot, I've just enumerated some of the qualities. Right, you want something with a bright dot, something that's fully adjustable, um, and um, aside from that the form factor is going to be largely up to you. I think, Pat, you're in a roughly a similar boat. Yeah, uh, I'm running um, a little endpoint replica. Um, also around $100. You know, my goals were, yep, very bright. Um, I wanted it to have a slight elevated riser, so I found one that did. Uh, it holds zero well. It, you know, works well in terms of being adjustable within the margins that an airsoft gun site needs to be adjustable. Um, because if you get a really cheap replica, sometimes they're like, oh, you can adjust this, you know, two clicks and then it stops working. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I would prefer the one I have not to run on watch batteries, but they last a really long time. So it's not a big deal, really. Um, I usually buy about one a season. I've used uh, EOTech replicas. I have used um, at the ACOG. A yeah, I Spectre. used the ACOG. Used the Doctor Sight on the ACOG. Um, used the uh, Elcan Spectre with the Doctor Sight as well. Uh, all replicas. Uh, there's really, in my view, no purpose in buying a real steel sight for an airsoft gun. Um, the range that the airsoft gun is effective at is an order of magnitude smaller. It, it's just silly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I had the cash and it were available, I might have preferred a real, um, Alcan Spectre in the sense that it would have had better eye relief and that would have been meaningful, but like that is many, many dollars. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. You know, if you're buying a $2,000 site to put on your airsoft gun, you have a lot more money than I do, or you're being ridiculous or both. Yeah. And you know, it's not to say that you can't spend 40 bucks and get, a uh, uh, red dot that will serve you well in airsoft. The thing about it is, though, is that the cheaper replicas tend to have really poor quality control. 
So you could certainly buy a $40 one and get lucky and get one of the good ones, but chances are the cheaper ones just are going to give you some sort of problem. So you'll have some that, like Pat was saying, you adjust them two dials and they break. You can't adjust them anymore because the, the screw or whatever is stripped and they, they won't adjust. It's one thing. You could have the same problem that I had with my EOTech where one of the lenses was mirrored and it was facing the wrong way. So then all I would see is myself uh, instead of seeing the red dot, which is not at all the intent of uh, of the site. So the cheaper site you get, the more chances are that you're going to get something like that. So it's worth spending a little bit uh, of extra to get uh, a better replica. But to be honest, I'm using an SRS and it works well, but Pat had an SRS and it's exactly the same and his didn't last nearly as long as mine. Yep. Um, specifically, actually, the SRS I had... Um... You know, I think it might originally have been a cheaper one than Phil's. I bought it secondhand, but uh, it wouldn't adjust. It, the um, windage and elevation knobs were broken when I got it. Um, yeah. So it was literally aesthetically pleasing garbage. Um, yeah, so when it comes to good quality red dots, we've said it before, you don't need to go and buy the real deal. Um, but spend 80 to $100 Canadian will generally get you something that's perfectly reliable for Airsoft. I would say as cool as I think they look that you should stay away from the EOTech replicas. Uh, I've owned three. Uh, I've seen five or six more. Uh, they tend not to be very bright. Uh, they tend to just have a really high rate of manufacturing issues where parts are put in wrong or they uh, you put the batteries in them and they just drain them completely in no time at all. Um, I don't know why specifically. Uh, it might just be the bad luck of you know, myself and my friends, but we've bought quite a number of sort of eh, 40, $50 EOTechs and all of them have been like money better not spent. Yeah. You know, in uh, a couple of cases they that. were, you know, like one of mine and one of Phil's were both like actually worse than your iron sights because the back plate was mirrored so you couldn't actually see the optic. Yeah. And, you know, you might be out there listening to this going like, well, I have a EOTech and I love it. Fine, absolutely. That's totally plausible. We're not saying that they're all garbage, but our experience with them has been that QC has not been where you want it to be. Um, and you know, instead of spending fifty bucks on a replica EOTech that may not work, just save a little bit of time, save save a little bit of money, and get something a bit better. Uh, if you can afford a forty dollar EOTech, save up another forty dollars and get something good. Um, mm. And honestly, if you're looking at a forty dollar red dot for yourself, you should do that anyway. In my opinion. Uh, although your $40 at Canadian Tire or Walmart or wherever ones occasionally are great. I've seen a lot of them. I'm not actually sure what it is, uh, but there's a, you know, Walmart special that's sort of a, a really big doctor site. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they do work pretty good. The only problem I've seen people have with them is that you can't get a kill flash or any sort of lens protector for them. And if they get hit with a BB, they explode. Um you know, but that's sort of a you pays your money, you take your chances kind of thing. Um, I would recommend you to look into getting one that comes with a kill flash or that you can buy a kill flash or a lens protector for because I don't like buying the same $80 piece of equipment twice when I could instead pen, spend $5 on a lens protector. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I mean, even for like me and the SRS, like uh, shipping and everything, it, it works out to about 15 bucks for a new kill flash. That's still cheaper than buying that optic over again every time. I would I could buy three optics for $180 or whatever, or I could just buy three kill flashes for $45. Like that seems like a no-brainer. Um, 
The other thing too is you can just get like one of the Lexan protectors that mount directly on your rail, or you can get a piece of Lexan cut that will fit. And I know Chris did something similar. I think he's got something that, that is the right diameter, but it doesn't fit perfectly. So he just has it on top and he has it electrical taped in place and that sucker is not going anywhere. That's pretty much what I have on mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be flashy, like bit of Lexan, bit of tape and you're off to the races. Yeah. And it's just all about making sure that the thing you've spent all this money on keeps working. You know, and if you're buying something like real steel, uh, or if you have something real steel because you shoot real steel and you're just porting it over, yeah, it will always be fantastic by comparison to any of the replicas. You know, uh, you do get better quality for your real steel dollar, um, but you're better for a hundred times the price. <laughs> yeah, and let's be honest, like if you're using your real steel optic, you definitely want to use a lens protector because a BB can still crack that lens. And unlike in the real world, where if you're using that and people are shooting at you, uh, your optic breaking is the least of your concerns. Um, you don't want to have your $1,500 Eurotech broken because it took a, a very powerful sniper rifle shot and now it's got a crack lens. Like, you just don't want to go down that road. So, you know, getting a protector is, is, like Pat was saying before, it's all about protecting that investment, right? So our last question uh, for today, this was one that is not asked, like, super frequently, but I thought it was... Uh, pertinent and it was on uh, youtube the question was um this user said i always enjoy your podcasts but as much as i'd like to be on a team i know i can only play about once a month do you guys have any members that are part-time and my response to that when phil brought it up was yeah me and yeah most of us arguably um yeah i thought it was an interesting question because like the amount that you are able to play Airsoft will vary depending on what you've got going in your life. I mean, some of you who are listening are, you know, like 18 years old and you're in just graduated uh, school. Maybe you're going to university, you're going to college. Like you might not have a job. You may have a full-time job in addition to going to school. All of that is going to impact how much time you have available. There are people who play with us here in our community who are uh, in still in like high school and during the summertime, all they've got to balance is their a job if they have one, and that's it. So they have the capacity in their daily schedule to go and play Airsoft once, twice, maybe even sometimes three times a week. If you compare that to uh, someone, for example, like myself, who is in his mid-30s, who has like a home, who's got stuff to take care of around the house, who's got a full-time job... Uh, and who's got a part-time side gig making, you know, YouTube content and podcasts and all this kind of stuff, the amount of time that I am have able to dedicate to playing Airsoft, especially for several hours at a time, is going to vary wildly. And he left out in his list there, you know, the wife and dog also want time from dad. Well, I mean, yeah, and that's that's part of sort of what I was saying, like around the, the household responsibilities. But yeah, that's a fair point. And if you have kids on top of that, like not fur babies, but like actual children, that's also going to take up a lot of your time. And I think about like Mark on our team, uh, who's got two kids at home and a wife and a dog and all, you know, like that's just it, it becomes very hard to manage. And so are you able to commit to playing Airsoft for three to six or eight hours every single week? that becomes harder to manage. So then you say, well, what can I swing? Well, I can swing once every two weeks or once a month, right? And for us on the team, the amount that you've been able to play has never been a factor, ever. This is just whether or not you're fun to play with and whether or not you have sort of the same values we have in terms of personal integrity. Um, I've never cared about what you look like or how often you are able to play. 
uh, and neither is anyone else on our team, you know, it's, did we really enjoy playing with you? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you think about like uh, yourself, Pat, I don't have, have you played this year yet? Uh, no, no, I absolutely have not. Um, you know, as it turns out, the last, the, the end of school year chunk of teaching in 2021 has been a grueling experience. And for sure. I just, you know, like I, I was, I finished school on Friday and I didn't go out Saturday because I needed some sleep. I just was exhausted. That's it. And you look at Chris. I know Chris hasn't played nearly as much as he wants to. And that's because there's a million things that's going on in his life and work is really busy and all this. Kind of, and that's that's the case for everyone. So we've said in, in a previous episode, I think uh, we were talking with Chris specifically about how one of the things that we've tried to do is at least set one day a month where we say, OK, guys, like this is the day that we're really going to make an effort to come out as a team. And we give lots of lead time so that you can book it off and you can, you know, make sure that there's nothing else on the go and, you know, everyone makes their best effort. Now, on the flip side, you know, I know for myself, I've carved out as much time as I can and I, you know, Saturdays, I'm going to try and go every week. That is fine. And if it turns out that I can't do that, then that's also fine. Airsoft has to be fun, right? And being on a team should be something that makes it even more fun for you. It shouldn't be a thing that increases your stress level. It shouldn't be a thing that increases the amount of pressure that you put on yourself, both to just show up to the games, number one, but also to perform, right? Because you're on a team, you're supposed to do good. Like, no, you're on a team so that you can go and have fun with people, right? Who are like-minded and you can try things that because you have a structure around how you play, you can give it a shot, right? You can say, hey, you do this and try this out. And, you know, like just to give you an example, um, when we were playing last weekend, Stefan and I were on different teams on a D-Day scenario, right? And I was defending and he was with the attackers. And before the game, I said to Stefan, hey, you should try this as, as an attacker. You should try this particular tactic and see how we, the defenders, deal with that, right? And it's because we're on a team that we can have that conversation because I know him and I go, yep, you're capable of doing this thing because we've worked together in the past and we've, we've played together in the past, I should say. Um, and I know that he's going to go, yeah, that's something we should try because I'm interested in giving it a shot and all this. Anyways, the, the point is that was fun. That's what being on a team is all about, right? It's not about, oh, well, we have to play together all the time on the same side. No, like that's, that's not fun, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it sucks if you're split apart the whole day. Don't get me wrong. But being on a team is much more than just how often you can play and who who's showing up and who's not. Like, that's not what that's about. We say all the time uh, on the podcast that, you know, like, we're not here to tell you how to have fun. Um, I, I feel very strongly that that has to be the case. Uh, but I'm also here to tell you that if whatever you're doing with Airsoft is not fun, you should try something new. <laughs> yeah, for right? sure. So... I'm sure there are teams out there that, oh, you know, you have to play every week, right? Um, and I'm not meaning to sort of, you know, say, oh, like, that's the wrong way to do things. But if you can't play every week, obviously, that's not the kind of team you want to be on. Yeah, and, like, you have to think about what you're trying to achieve by setting the expectation that you have to come to every single game. Like, I think about, for example, just to give an example of another sports team, my wife plays volleyball, Right. And her team, this is pre-COVID, obviously, because COVID, you know, it's a ball that everyone's touching and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a little bit more dicey. But point is, before COVID, they would practice once a week and they would play their league games once a week, right? And the expectation was you show up as best as you can, 
And the reason why is because, well, what are you winning at the end of the, at the end of the year? Let's say you're the top team in the league. You win the whole the whole league, et cetera. What are you winning? Well, you're winning like a couple cases of beer, some glasses from the sponsor, you know, maybe a little bit of money to to sponsor your team sort of the entry next year. And that's it. So why is it that you would like crack the whip on people to show up every single game, et cetera, if it's low stakes? If it was your career, like you look at players playing in the NHL, for example, like, yeah, they're expected to show up, but that's their job. This is supposed to be fun. And so the same thing applies to Airsoft, right? So yeah, you're on a serious team and you want to do serious things. And, you know, maybe, you know, your team is extremely, extremely serious. Like some of you may remember like the Green Mountain Rangers and stuff like that, like took themselves extremely seriously. What exactly are you winning if you play like that? Our field is conspicuously lacking, you know, big cash money prizes to the team that does the best every weekend, right? Yeah, nobody's winning any medals. Nobody's going home with a trophy that says world's best airsoft team or the cash prize of 10 grand or whatever, right? Like if if there happens to be a tournament that's going on in your area and you're trying to focus in and win it, like, yeah, totally. But really think about, okay, if you have a team and your expectations, you have to come to every game, you have to come to every practice. What is the end goal of that? You have There has to be some purpose, right? And for a lot of us playing Airsoft, and I'm not going to say all of us, but for a lot of us, Airsoft is just about going out and having fun and setting that sort of expectation that you have to come to every game, come to every practice is not really going to be fun for the average person, right? Especially as that person gets older, especially as that person gets more and more responsibility put on because of, you know, the outside world and real life and becoming um, a parent, potentially uh, taking a, a job, having a second job, taking on a mortgage from the bank, all this kind of stuff adds to your, you know, your workload and uh, outside of the field, and you may not have the capacity to go every week. And that has to be okay. Right. Otherwise, like Pat was saying, if it's creating stress and it's not fun for you, then you need to take a different approach. And frankly, you know, if you stay in something where it's creating stress and it's not fun for you, you're going to eventually stop playing. And yes, I'm more sporadic than I arguably would like to be even, but at least I still play and I enjoy it every time. Yeah. I run, right? And just to give you a sense of what our team is like, we have people on our team who haven't played Airsoft in years, years. Mark hasn't played Airsoft in years. Jeremy has, you know, a couple years ago decided he didn't really want to play Airsoft anymore. We've got Patrick Short on the team. You know, he hasn't shown up really uh, to a game since he, he injured himself, which is totally understandable. We've got Matt, who's moved away to a different province, right? Um, like, these are still guys who are part of our team right? There are people who we have a friendship with, who we have an affinity with, who we enjoy spending time with whenever we're able to, whether that's playing Airsoft or not playing Airsoft, right? And so whether they come to games, it makes no difference. And I know if we said to Mark one day, it's like, hey, come out to a game. We, we really like to have you. We'll, we'll equip you, whatever. I'm sure if Mark was able to, he might say, yeah, sure, Phil, let's come on. Let's, it'll, be, it'll be fun for old time's sake. But there's no expectation there, right? Teams need to enhance your airsofting experience. That's what that's the only purpose that they're there for. Because anything else that you put around them is not going to really change anything. Whether you have a rank structure or not, if you're your team's sergeant or a corporal or whatever, if that's what you want to go with, none of that really changes anything. Right? Now, if that's what you enjoy, then great. Um, but if you're worried about having a team because you can't play as often as you think people might need to, that's fine. 
right? Create your own team, create your own group of people who enjoy playing with each other whenever they can. And that's your, that's your great starting point. That's where, that's how we started. And that's how we will continue for as long as we're interested in playing Airsoft. 100%. So hopefully you guys have found this sort of Q&A enjoyable and interesting. Uh, we do like doing this. We've definitely come to enjoy going to sort of that mailbag and or uh, questions yelled at us on Discord uh, for episodes. Uh, it creates sort of a, a good way of having a chat about things. Uh, either way, hopefully you've enjoyed this. Uh, thanks for listening and have a fantastic week. Take care, everyone.